Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. So glad you could join me. Well, just when we thought the dust was starting to settle a bit after the first wave of free agent signings, we got a blockbuster trade last week involving the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins with wide receiver Tyreek Hill on the move, going to Miami in exchange for a boatload of draft picks. Uh, with Tyreek then signing a pretty massive contract extension with his new team. And here with me now to discuss the Hill trade and some other topics is Billy Musio of Full-Time Fantasy. Billy's razor-sharp fantasy football mind is keenly focused on high-stakes analysis. You can find him on Twitter, at FFMusio. Billy, thanks for joining me, and welcome to the show. Pat, thanks for having me on, man. I'm I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, me too. And uh, I should start by congratulating you on the big career move. So you are now full time at Full Time Fantasy. Yeah, full news. Where I've been calling it. Um, <laughs> how does so, it feel? How does it feel that fantasy football be your day job now? Um, so it's still it's I still have my day. I'm I'm a business owner, so I have the flexibility of having two day jobs now. Oh, nice. um, where, you know, fantasy is still second to my, my, my business. But, um, that being said, I, I spend a lot of time with football. I mean, I always have, uh, and, and now I'm just, you know, more officially a title at this point because, uh, the amount of hours I'm spending on a daily basis with football is, is pretty, pretty much the same. You know, I was spending 40 to 60 hours a week with football research and drafts and, and podcasts, and I'm doing about the same now as a full-time analyst. So it's just, it's just more of a title change now. Nice. Can I ask what your other business is? Flexible hours? Yeah, very flexible hours. Um, I, I own a grocery outlet. Um, so grocery outlet bargain market, West Coast. They have a couple Pennsylvania stores. They just branched out into New Jersey and hit the East Coast a little bit. We're legally not a franchise, but essentially we are. Uh, legally, we're independent contractors on a consignment basis. Uh, I employ about 40 employees that uh, uh, run you know, our daily operations from a store manager all the way down to a courtesy clerk at the grocery store and every department manager in between. Uh, and I just oversee the store now and, and manage the budget, marketing, HR, all the business aspects of the business and, and have my store manager run operations now. Oh, wow, man. That uh, definitely sounds pretty involved. So you are burning the candle at both ends, my friend. Yeah, it's uh, it, it used to be a lot more time consuming, right? Now that we're pretty established and we've been in this store now for a little over five years, we just have our processes down to where it allows me the time to draft in the office, you know, at, at the store and, and, and just answer questions as needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Excellent. All right, Billy, let's uh, start by digging in with this Tyreek Hill trade. So I don't know, I guess, first of all, looking at it from a non-fantasy perspective, which team do you think got the better end of the deal? 
Uh, Kansas City absolutely won this deal. I mean, as dynamic as Tyreek has been, I mean, he's 28 years old. Uh, but when you look at like draft capital 2016, they only spent around five draft pick on him. Um, and you know, age doesn't, doesn't, it does or speed doesn't age well. I mean, his, his speed, his name of this game is speed. And, um, you know, when he's, he's getting up in age, he's going to lose a step. And, and with that type of, of, um, game and, and the way that he plays it's age does not do, do his game well. So I think Kansas city won that trade. They get, what was it? Pick 29, pick 50, a fourth in 2022, plus a fourth, fifth and sixth in 2023. So um, that's, that's a lot of dart throws. There's some, there's some good capital in there as well. And, and let's face it. I mean, they gave him a huge contract, 120 million, four years. So, uh, I think that Kansas city made out like bandits in this deal. Uh, even though can, even though Tyreek Hill is as dynamic as he is. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. It's just a massive, massive investment for the chiefs. Like he has got to produce at just the height of his powers. You know, he's got to stay an elite fantasy receiver to make it worth Miami's while. And it just seems like it's a, a big gamble for them. So I'm kind of with you. Now, do you think this does some damage to Tyreek's fantasy value? I mean, put it this way. You took him, uh, you had me on along with 10 other people, fantasy analysts, high stakes aces to do a best ball draft uh, that you live streamed. And this was a few days before the trade. You took him at 111 in that draft. Now, I'm wondering if you would take him at 111 again after the trade and approximately where in drafts do you think he is going to go now? No, I would not take him in hindsight. Like hindsight, I, I wouldn't even take him in the beginning around two. Um, I think he'll probably end up somewhere between two, three to two, eight on average, kind of that, you know, Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown range. I think people will still overdraft him just because of the name, but um, I absolutely think it's a downgrade in his value heading into 2022. I mean, you look at Tua in 23 games, only throwing 27 touchdowns. You know, he leaves Patrick Mahomes, who is quarterback 11 and in money throws, and it, not to mention just astronomical amount more touchdowns. I mean, quarterback four in money throws in 2020, quarterback eight in money throws 2019. And, you know, in comparison, Tua finished – you know, 31st in 2020 and 26th in 2021. I mean, and you look at other metrics side by side, you know, passer rating like Mahomes 97.35 to 80.48, you know, and there's just, you could just go down the list of these type of metrics and just the clear separation and talent between the two quarterbacks. And it, it doesn't take an analyst to tell for someone to know that Patrick Mahomes is, is better than Tua, um, you know, but the thing that gets me is, is just the, fit in the offense in the scheme and Tua is, you know, not a deep ball passer. And you look at Tyreek Hill, who's had success with deep balls and, you know, air yards as always leading the lead uh, top of the league in, in air yards. So I just think that it's definitely a downfall in, um, or I should say it's definitely a downgrade in value for Tyreek Hill. I think honestly, it's a downgrade in everybody on um, both sides of these teams, except for Tua. Yeah. Uh, like the deep ball thing is going to be big. Because you have to leverage Tyreek's speed that way. And I know you can also design catch and run plays and getting yak, getting those yards after the catch. That's valuable too, and having the speed to do it. And we saw some of that last year with the Dolphins and Jalen Waddle. But man, I mean, to his average depth of target in his two seasons 7.5 yards, 7.0 yards. 
Mahomes for his career, 9.1, 8.8, 8.4. And then it dropped to 7.3 last year when everyone was giving the Chiefs that that too deep safety look and kind of forcing them to dink and dunk a little bit more. But yeah, man, I, I just, I'm with you. I don't know if Tua is going to be able to fully leverage that blazing speed that Tyreek has. So where were you on Tua before that trade? Uh, you know, you mentioned that it does help him. Does the trade like fundamentally change your opinion of Tua's value? Uh, it does. I, I mean, I was more on Tua than most people were heading into 2022 simply because of the ADP cost. I mean, he was going at like quarterback 19 to 22 in drafts, depending upon which room you were in. Um, and that was just with, you know, Jalen Waddle and, and Jacecki there. And so add in another dynamic receiver like Tyreek Hill. And that's, you know, they're going to be able to kind of use that speed, that straight line speed down the field and and open up some routes underneath for Jalen Waddle. I just think, though, that one, the question is, can Tua handle that talent, right? Can he get him the ball? Um, but I'm more interested in McDaniels and leaving my Niners and coming over here to this offense. He's going to, you know, open up a lot of creative schemes and looking at last year down the stretch Tua came on hot and, you know, it bodes well for 2022. And, um, you know, my fear has just been though, that Miami's been noncommittal towards them. It seems they always seem to be in the rumor mill, uh, of adding a quarterback. Like they were the Deshaun Watson news, the Brady, the Brady out of retirement, trying to get him over to Miami. So, you know, if, if they've signaled that they don't trust Tua, it's kind of hard for me as an analyst and as a fantasy player to trust them. But until, you know, they've given me a reason not to, I'm going to continue to take the discount at drafts. Yeah, that's fair. So how big a hit do you think Jalen Waddle's fantasy value takes? Oh, massive, massive. Uh, I mean, Waddle was wide receiver 77 and average target distance at 6.3. I mean, he thrives off those short screen passes. You know, he, he ran 43.8% of his routes out of the slot, which was the 15th most in the NFL. And then in comparison, Tyreek Hill ran 37.8% out of the slot, which was 19th most. So the only positive I can really see is, you know, Tyreek, the deep passing that we've been talking about, that that th- deep threat specialist, you know, 26 deep targets last year, equating to third most in the NFL. Uh, Waddle only saw 10. So I think it breaks down to how are they going to utilize these two and and what is that going to look like? You know, are they going to utilize Tyreek more down the field? And But then again, it's going to take away his strength on those bubble screens. And so I think that it's going to be interesting on how they scheme these two on a game-to-game basis. Um, but something has to give. Uh, and I think that um, if you do take away Tyreek's largest strength, which is yards after the catch, uh, and you're utilizing him just as a field stretcher, I think you could have got a lot cheaper of options if you were going to utilize him that way. So uh, I don't think that's the way they're going to go. I think that they will continue to use him in the same fashion that Kansas City did. I think they'll use him down the field as also in the screen game, which directly affects Jalen Waddle's position and his snap shares. Yeah, it's frustrating. I thought Waddle could have maybe contended for low-end wide receiver one value and now it's hard to have him anywhere but you know late low-end wide receiver two like and that even seems a little optimistic in some ways so uh, I don't know man yeah that's that's really frustrating uh so turning to the Chiefs here in your best ball draft the one we did just before the trade I was looking to take a wide receiver with my pick at 705 and had, I think Brandon Ayuk was one of the guys in my queue. I was looking at some other wide receiver possibilities and wondered if maybe it was too early for Juju. I decided it wasn't and put him in my queue 
along with Ayuk and figured I'd make that decision when it got to me. Turned out that Juju went at 7.02, and I did wind up taking Ayuk. That was before the Tyreek trade. And I'm back in another best ball slow draft where Juju went 6.04 now. So that was wide receiver 30, I believe. How do you feel about him at that sort of price? I'm the wrong guy to ask about Juju. I I'm, I I love the kid. I, I've liked him since his days when he was on the Steelers at AB. I think he's talented. I think he's going to thrive in this Chiefs system. And I've been, I was drafting him all, all off season. So, I mean, I start drafting in February, so I'm already a hundred drafts in and, and, you know, he's top four most owned wide receivers so far through my, my early drafts. And I think that this trade's going to bode well for fantasy. I mean, he's just sitting here and, and I think that his underneath all his stuff he's going to run underneath in the slot. I think it's going to, I think it's going to work nicely here for this chief's offense. How much do you think the loss of Hill is going to affect Mahomes? I think it's going to affect him more than people are expecting. I mean, Tyreek made a living on yarded for the catch. He had 415 um, yards after the catch in 2021, which was good for wide receiver 13. I mean, that's a lot of yards to give up as a passer, right? Not to mention the amount of the pressure that he took off Kelsey and all the other stuff underneath when he was stretching the field. Uh, I think that we're going to see a very different offense in 2022 for the Chiefs. And we touched base on it a little bit earlier when you mentioned that, um, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs struggled mighty versus cover two. And when you're adding in a player like Juju who ran, you know, nearly 65% of his routes out of the slot, I mean, that means that they expect to throw more across the middle than the short intermediate passes. Yes, they added MVS. It's going to stretch the field. I mean, it's nice that you have two players now on the field doing the work of one. And from a defensive standpoint, I think it'll be harder to cover. But, you know, the, the just the dynamic after the catch ability of Tyreek Hill will be missed in, for fantasy purposes and I think just in general for the Chiefs. So I've tentatively kept Mahomes as my quarterback, too, behind Josh Allen. But I feel like the gap between Allen and Mahomes has gotten a lot bigger. And now it's basically Mahomes is more or less in a dead heat with a bunch of other quarterbacks. What about you? Who do you have ahead of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and? Yeah, Josh Allen and Herbert, I think. I and was, Herbert. It was close for me going into the season uh, after they re-signed uh, Mike Will and then uh, Chargers, I should say, and then after they just uh, the Chiefs just gave up Tyreek Hill. Um, that, to me, was was the edge. Yeah, that's fair. I think he's one of the guys, and who knows, maybe other people are going to make cases for Lamar Jackson. I don't know if you can make the case for Kyler Murray, but I, I do think it kind of weighs down Mahomes' value a little bit and pulls him back towards that that other tier behind Allen. Uh, is, well, is let's Trev- face it, he, yeah. he struggled mightily last year. I mean, there was the first eight, nine weeks, you look at like his fantasy scores and, and you're, people are wondering, why, why the heck did I draft this guy as you know, in top four rounds for those who did, right? And and they were sweating. And yes, he cleaned it up down the stretch, but uh, Patrick Mahomes was not the Patrick Mahomes that people thought they drafted last year, primarily because of that cover two. And I think that um, defenses figured it out. It took away the big playability. And, and I, think, I think that honestly was one of the main decisions in trading Tyreek Hill was they realized that, hey, people are onto us. We got to change things up a little bit. Yeah, totally agree with you, man. I was... I had Mahomes at 102 in a super flex league last year, and he was a major disappointment for me. Like that team was not good, and he was a main reason why. So, um, yeah, it was 
disappointing. And, and maybe this is kind of part of the retooling, as you mentioned, for the Chiefs to sort of contend with the defenses they were seeing last year. Uh, and that covered two that they were like constantly contending with. Is Travis Kelsey the tight end one now with Hill gone? I mean, was he the, the tight end one for you before the Hill trade? Yeah, he was. I mean, as as good of a year that Mark Andrews had, I mean, I think Kelsey has to be the tight end one for 2022. I mean, outside of 2021, he's finished as the tight end one from 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, he's going to be the, the most trusted option here on the field for Patrick Mahomes now that Tyreek is gone. I mean, you look at third downs and red zones, I think that he's going to be um, targeted early and often. And I, I think he recaptures that crown here in 2022. Now, you mentioned MVS earlier. Are you at all interested in Marquez Valdez-Scantling or even Nicole Hardman now that Hill is out of the picture? Ah, oh, man. You know, I was earlier at when he was going late in drafts because of the uncertainty of Aaron Rodgers and where he was going to end up and was MVS going to resign or was he going to go to a different team? I mean, but now he's going at like, you know, rounds 10 through 11 in drafts. And it's not like he went from like some bum at quarterback to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he just left Green Bay. I mean, back to back MVP. In his three years in Green Bay, he finished as wide receiver 83 in 2019, wide receiver 56 in 2020, and then wide receiver 76 in 2021. I mean, I honestly like I can't believe they paid him 10 million a year. I mean, had you told me like a couple of years ago that MVS was gonna out gonna earn more than Juju Smith Schuster in the next contract, I would have thought you were lying. And you know, just look at what they did. I understand why they did it. They needed that field stretcher that and they needed that, you know, to take that all the heat off underneath that Tyreek Hill did for this offense. But 10 million a year, I don't think is money well spent. And for that type of money, I would have gone not for somebody like Will Fuller or even even somebody cheaper. Yeah, I can safely say that my fellow Packers fans and I, when we saw the money MVS was offered, <laughs> we we wanted him back after Devontae got traded away. But when we saw that deal, we, uh, you know, bon voyage, MVS. You know, good good luck in Kansas City, man. Uh, you know, I, I like the guy. I think he's going to be an interesting weapon for Mahomes. But whether he was worth that sort of money, boy, man, I, I would have a tough time saying that he is. Um, let's also talk about Ronald Jones to the Chiefs real fast. Where, where were you on Rojo before that deal? And are you interested in him at all now? Do we have to talk about Rojo? No, (laughs) (laughs) it seems like everyone's got like some sort of, uh, tragic history with him. You know, I'm, I'm not a team Rojo guy and, you know, I was taking him late in drafts. Just, I'm a, I'm a cost guy, right? I don't care who it is. I'll draft him if the cost is right. Um, or if the opportunity is right. So like round 16 plus in the, some of these underdog drafts, I was taking him, but I'll never buy him at his current ADP. I mean, he's starting to jump up. I mean, I saw him going in around 10, 11 now, 12 in some drafts. And so at that, at that price, I'm out. Yeah, I totally understand. So you don't really, well, I don't know. Do you think he threatens the value of Clyde Edwards Alaire much? No, actually CEH actually moved up in my rankings after all the chaos. I mean, I was already higher on CEH than most to begin with, but, um, you know, I had him at running back 25 prior, and I moved him up to 22 after the news. I mean, I was more afraid of somebody like Melvin Gordon signing or another back that had dual threat ability. But, you know, without Tyreek, all those flats and screens are wide open for the taking. And, I mean, Rojo can't catch a cold. So I know he's not going to go out there and catch screen passes from Patrick Mahomes. You know, plus you mentioned, like, he has – Rojo has, you know, fumbleitis. And so I just – I don't have a lot of faith in Rojo – um, you know, he's coming onto the Kansas City team here, and like 
for instance, Rojo, I moved, I moved up a bit, running back 61, running back 45, but just doesn't have the hands for me to stay relevant in this Kansas City offense, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting that the viewpoint that it might sort of strengthen CEH's value because it, it we know they're not going to sign like another significant free agent running back now. As you said, they're out of the they're out of the Melvin Gordon Derby. They're probably not going to draft a running back before maybe day three. So, yeah, if anything, and and we know that Ronald Jones is really not the ideal third down back. He's pretty much the antithesis of a third down back. So, um, you know, we know Clyde Edwards is going to get some of those high leverage opportunities on third downs and obvious passing down situations. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with that take. Yeah. It's, you know, it's contrarian to most people. Everyone looked at it as, Oh, now he has competition, but it's, it's simply just as a competition standpoint and what the two skill sets have and how they're going to compete with each other. You know, it's not going to bring in somebody who's really going to take away a lot of those carries or a lot of those touches from CH. So uh, although it is another, you know, man or another mouth to feed in this offense, I, it's not one that's going to require a lot of feeding. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. FTX is the fully regulated, safe, and easy way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, even NFTs. Plus, you can earn free crypto on every trade over $10 all with up to 85% lower fees than other crypto exchanges. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX. Shohazen. Are you? Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. So, Billy, you got your pilot's license not long ago. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. February 16th, actually. A little over a month ago. Awesome. What What made you decide you wanted to fly planes? You know, it started with, I mean, I've always liked aviation. I I had a like just a passion for it. I went and visited my, uh, I call my grandfather, but my grandfather passed away before I was born, but uh, it was his brother. So I went out and, and visited my grandfather out in Oklahoma and um, he took me to the air show and I was like, you know, six years old and I just fell in love with, you know, planes and, and aviation and just kind of had a hobby through it, space and Star Wars and just kind of the whole, you know, just, just kind of just the magicalness of flying. And, um, always loved to wanted to do it. Just never really one thought I had the time or two thought I had the energy. Um, and then COVID hit and, um, it just kind of opened up a lot of doors and windows in order to, to get out and just do what I wanted to do. And, and, and I just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And 
primarily it was me wanting freedom and not having to worry about what's going to happen next in the world. And am I going to be able to get from point A to point B flying without all this documentation and everything? And, and honestly, it was just, it was about me having the freedom of getting up and packing my family and going wherever I want, whenever I want. And um, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And my wife was like, please just do it. <laughs> and so um, it took me about 13 months, but here we are. It's finally done. And, and uh, it's one of the best decisions I've made over the last 10 years. How nervous were you for your first solo flight? Oh, I was scared shitless. I don't know if I can say that. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> I, I appreciate the honesty. I was like, I was like so eager and so anxious for it to happen. I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. My, my instructor was like, you're ready. And then like weather hit and it was like storms for like two weeks, wasn't able to fly for like a two week period. So then at that point you have to go back up and remain, you know, efficient. So you have to go back up and reshow your stuff right they have to they have to trust that you didn't lose it over the two week period and so we flew for like another week of solid good landings and everything and then at the end of the week i said okay well tomorrow we're going to do a solo flight so we get up there in the morning we go do the, the pattern together land all my landings great structure hops out close the door and says okay you're on your own i got a walkie-talkie i can talk to you while you're in the air and um you know just just do what you've been trained to do and as soon as that door shut my stomach sank and I was like, one of those, oh shit moments. I'm about to take off a plane by myself. And yeah, you know, I'm taxiing down the runway one six here in Bend and I go down and do my run up and I, I get onto the runway. And as soon as I put that throttle in all the way and, and instincts kicked in and just immediately all the training and everything that you hear your instructor talking to you, even though they're not sitting there. And I'm not gonna lie though. I, I like moved my backpack. I was like downwind in the pattern. And I, I moved my backpack next to me because I just felt like it was an empty seat. I've been flying next to somebody for, you know, months. I, I have never, never flown a plane by myself. One, two, not had anyone in the plane with me. So I just felt kind of empty. It was like a teddy bear almost, right? Like I just needed it there for comfort. <laughs> so I moved my backpack next to me. And I'm like, oh, that's better. I feel like someone's sitting here now. And then I came back in and landed. Great. Do three landings by myself and then got out. And they do what's called the, the shirt cut ceremony. And they, they cut your shirt um as kind of a rite of passage way of that you no longer need the instructor to pull on your on your shirt um because in the old days they used to sit behind you in the plane and if you were messing up they'd tug on your shirt to get your attention because they didn't have communication devices and um so the rite of passage they cut your shirt saying that they no longer need to tug it oh that's awesome man so did the butterflies start to disappear a little bit once you were at altitude yeah, like honestly, it was like as soon as the throttle kicked in, it was like, okay, um, you know, gauge is good, air airspeed's coming alive, you know, I'm you know, you see you, you like written you lift off, you know, you're you're making sure your airspeed's good. It's just instincts. Like it as soon as I hit that throttle, like my instincts kicked in, all my nerves went away. And then as soon as I came back into land though, my nerves kind of kicked back up again. And then as soon as you touched down again, it was good. And then I think outside that, I didn't feel that way again until I did like my solo cross country where you fly like a minimum 55 nautical miles by yourself. That time was the only other time I felt that nervous and I haven't been nervous really ever since. Yeah. So you've, I know you've since taken trips with your family. You, you felt totally good and you know, really it's not that been that long since you got your license, but you are totally comfortable now and, and, you know, having them up in the air with you and everything, no butterflies. Yeah. The first flight with the family, honestly, was probably the scariest flight I've done my entire life just because 
you know, all your precious cargo. Yeah. It's precious cargo, right? It's, it's, you know, for all the parents out there, it's, it's like that first drive home from the hospital with your kid in the back seat in the car seat. Right. It's, that's like the slowest I ever drove in my life. (laughs) And then (laughs) in the airplane, you can't really go slower. You need to take off, right? You have certain air speeds that you need to hit to land, to take off and, and to maintain. And so, you know, you just got to do what you're trained to do. But like, honestly, like I was just nervous. Like I, I remember calling my buddy, my best friend, he's an, he's my attorney also. And <laughs> make sure my will situated. Right. I just I went down the whole rabbit hole because I just wanted to make sure what's going to happen if something were, if shit hit the fan. Right. And, and I wanted to make sure everything was lined up. So it was scary the first flight with my family. And then my kids just immediately loved it though. They loved the views. <laughs> they actually loved turbulence. It was hilarious. Like we're flying over the mountain and we're coming off the mountain range and, and I expected turbulence. You could see some lenticular clouds and we're coming down and it was a pretty good bump. Like my head hit the ceiling in the Cessna, right? Like it was, it was, it was a good amount of turbulence and my kids are in the back. Yeah, do it again. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, I'm, I'm like, Oh, that's a good bump. Like I'm not too affected by it. My wife's grabbing my leg. Like, like, like she's going to like, they like fall off a cliff. Like she's gripping it so <laughs> tough. Like I'm like, I, like, like, honey, I need to, I need to use my legs to fly. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, the kids wanted me to do it again. I'm like, no, daddy can't control that. You know, it's like that stomach drop when you go over a bump in a car, it's that same yes. feeling, <laughs> but, but, uh, so the kids loved it, but, uh, we flew to the coast last week. We, you know, from, or from Bend, Oregon is where I live. Um, we flew out to Newport, which is normally like a four hour drive, three and a half, four hours, depending upon uh, traffic once you hit the valley. But, uh, you know, it was, took us an hour and 10 minutes there. It took us like 59 minutes back, uh, because of a tailwind. And, um, <laughs> just, you get up in the air and you can see all the mountains, you can see the ocean. I mean, it's just beautiful. We, we I love it. The kids loved it. My wife loves it. We're going to just continue to fly. Tell me about living in Bend. Like one of my old college roommates lived there for, uh, I don't know, like a year or so after graduation. And he said, it's one of the most beautiful places he's ever seen. Yeah. We call it God's country. It's, uh, it truly is an amazing place. Like I grew up in Northern California, which I thought was a beautiful place. And I came up here and, and it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, you have so much to do in terms of outdoor activities. I mean, you can 20 minutes, you can get to the mountain to ski and snowboard. You can, you know, go golfing. You can, you can ski, you can mountain climb, you can rock climb, you can, you can whitewater raft. You can you can go hiking down the PC the PCP trail, right? You can do all all those in one day. Like um, Drew Bledsoe lives here, and and when they interviewed and asked him, "Why do you live in Bend? You can live anywhere in the world, right?" And he said, "There's not many places in the world that you can throw your skis in the back of your car, your golf club, your fishing your fishing pole, you know, your mountain bike, and decide what you want to do for the day." I mean, it truly is one of those places. I mean some of the best fishing in the world. Like if you, if you're a fisherman and this, the amount of things that you can do in this town are just, it's crazy. And if you don't like outdoors, great. If you like to play golf, there's like 30 golf courses. If you like beer and drinking, there's 28 breweries, I think now, maybe 29. I'm losing track now, but it's one of the beer meccas of the West coast. They have what's called the ale trail. You can like get a map from downtown and go brewery to brewery and taste all the beers. And once you finish it, you get a mug. You'll probably never remember getting the mug. Cause you're going to be hammered, but it's, it's, it's really is. It's a magical place, man. I love it. Well, Bledsoe's a, a wine guy, isn't he? So I guess I'm not totally surprised that he would settle in that part of the country. Yeah. He opened the tasting room down in the box district. He's got his winery up in Washington. Um, 
but he's got good wine. I mean, I go down there and, and, and drink every now and then when I'm down in that area, but it's just a matter, you know, it's just a matter of preference. It's like breweries next door or winery, right? You just got to pick. <laughs> yeah. I've seen you, I've seen you mention that you're sort of a foodie. Is the, the restaurant scene there as good as the beer and wine scene? Oh, I am a foodie. I'm picky. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm almost overly picky. So I went to culinary school when I was 18 and, and so food was my background and I worked at a lot of different high-end restaurants, you know, you're talking like, you know, multiple Michelin starred restaurants, five-star restaurants. I staged at Gary Danko's in the city, which used to be like a top five restaurant in the world, went and worked for free just to, just to learn. And, um, so I'm really, really picky and anal about food. Like I get, I get like upset because I feel like, oh, I can cook that better. I'm just gonna cook it at home. Right. And so I'm, I'm pretty overly critical of food. I don't think it's as good as everything else in town that offers like outdoor. It's more like there's so many, so much more pub food here because of the breweries and everything. Yes. They have some nice fine dining, but it's, it's like compared to San Francisco or like, you know, these massive cities, like it's, it's not even close to those levels. But with how small Bend used to be 10, 15 years ago and the growth that it's seen over the, the last decade or so, it will get there eventually. And we're starting to get more and more restaurants. And there's a few that are just astronomical, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not like there's one in every corner. That's awesome, man. Uh, you have an interesting background, Billy. That's for sure. Uh, uh, so let's, let's circle back to football and talk about that best ball draft we did together with, uh, you know, the star-studded field a couple of weeks ago. I've been wrestling with where to rank DeAndre Swift, and I find it hard to sort out Swift, Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara. Those guys are kind of in a, a similar range for me. You took Swift at uh, 202 in that draft, which was running back nine. I take it you like him a little more than Chubb and Kamara? A lot more than than Kamara. Chubb, I have ranked one spot below him. I actually have Swift as, um, what is it, my running back, is it eight or nine? I think he's right around there. Running back nine. I do have running back nine. And then, um, and then I have um, Chubb right below him. Um, I love Swift. You know, I was down on him last year and I was wrong. I, I, I liked him, but I just wasn't as high on him as a lot of people were. But rewatching tapes, so I'm a tape guy, and I went back and I rewatched. I'm already rewatching games from last year now, and he just looks the the part of a dynamic back. And you know, he's heavily involved in the passing game. I mean, in 13 games, he finished with 78 targets, which was the fourth most. He probably would have been running back one in targets had he stayed healthy. 62 receptions, also fourth most. 66 percent route participation. I mean, he legit has a shot to finish as a 1K 1K guy. I mean, the only three other players in history are Roger Craig, Marshall Falk, and Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to call it now and say, if healthy, and he can play all 16 weeks, he'll be number four. Yeah, you're not at all worried about what happens when they have him playing along with Amon Ross St. Brown, PJ Hawkinson, DJ Chark, like all those guys kind of contending for targets. We know Swift is going to catch passes for sure, but do you really think he has like possible 900,000-yard upside? I, I think he has the upside. I mean, look at like Goff. Goff is like Captain Checkdown, right? And and you look at what he did in the beginning of the season before getting hurt. And like we're seeing some legit double digit target games. And I think that um, those were the games that he looked the best. And, and yes, they kind of scaled it back when he got back. But I don't think he was fully ready to come back. I think he kind of forced his way back into the lineup. If if it was up to them, I think they would have just rested him and shelved him for the year. And I, I think he wanted to be on the field. So 
Um, I think that even when you have Hawkinson back in the lineup and you have Chark and you have everyone there, Amon Ross St. Brown, I still think his role is pretty clearly defined and there's not a lot behind him that's going to challenge that. Now, what about Kamara? Is this, how much of this is related to his uh, legal situation? So, you know, he beat the guy up at, at the pro ball and I'm sure you know, that the commissioner's not going to like the fact that this happened at an NFL event. So even if he does settle with the victim, uh, we can probably count on a, a two game suspension, but is, is that mostly it or are there football concerns for you too? Um, it's primarily it. I'd say 80 ish percent. Um, you just look at this, it's a new offense, right? They're going to have a new head coach, a new system. Uh, anytime there's changes like that, what kind of chemistry are they going to have in the offense? What 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 kind of role is that going to be? You have Michael Thomas now, who's back, who's going to command most of the targets. Uh, you know, yes, they don't have the vulture Taysom Hill there, you know, running wildcat anymore. But I I just I have concerns for his role in 2022, the new system, and I have a lot of concerns about the legal incident. And and you know, I I don't think it's going to be two games. I think it's going to be more like four, maybe maybe even six. And so. Um, it really is going to break down to what happens legally, but at the end of the day, I, any suspension at that point, when you can grab somebody like Swift or Chubb, who's going to play a full season, or even somebody like Barkley, like a half a round to a full round later, I'm going to take players on both those sides. Yeah, that's fair. I think you are probably wise to err on the side of caution here when we're doing best ball drafts in, in March and you know bef- before that is all sorted out and we know what sort of punishment he's going to get. So you're a, a 49ers fan. You took Trey Lance QB 12 in that draft ahead of Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers. Like I like Lance too, and I'm I'm kind of a believer. But like they still technically have Jimmy Garoppolo on the team. Uh, what makes you confident enough in Lance to draft him as a low end quarterback one? The pick was part homer pick. I'm not gonna lie, but it was, you know, it's it was a lot of it was upside, and it's also diverse. It's just diversifying my portfolio, and I. <laughs> Yes, I'm talking about diversifying my portfolio in March. Like I started drafting <laughs> before the Super Bowl. Like I was honestly, I think it was the last week of January is my first draft. And so when I look at, you know, we were on FFWC, uh, w- you know, full time, and I had already done two drafts on that site prior. And uh, my first quarterback was Rogers. My second quarterback was Hertz. Were the two quarterbacks you mentioned here actually, because it's kind of the area they're all going at, and I'm not really an early quarterback guy. So. I was sitting back waiting and and they were all three there. And, and, you know, I would have been fine going out with either of them. My draft partner at the time, Dave Hubbard, who was like, Hey, let's go Lance. Don't got to twist my arm. Right. I'm a, I'm a Homer. So, um, it was primarily diversification, honestly, with, with, with that pick and then my, my partner. But, you know, when you look at also like what he has done, um, in his two starts week four and 17 last year, he finishes quarterback 10 and quarterback 14. So, uh, the upside's there. And, and so I think that um, with a full season as a starter, I have, I have high hopes for him. Yeah, small sample size last year, but I think he's going to score points. The, the running ability is going to get points on the board for him, and the passing is probably not going to look that pretty at times his, his first year as a starter, but I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm a believer. Um, in that draft we did, what one or two picks – surprised you the most when you were live streaming everything the first one was uh when anthony servino took Jalen waddle and i think it was the middle of the second round um you know it's even worse now when you look back at trade you know hindsight but you know hindsight's hindsight 
Um, but, you know, he took him ahead at the time of Debo and Diggs. I mean, even Lamb. I mean, I think all three of those guys in my rankings are ahead of him. Um, most of the time, Debo's going at the turn even, you know, that one-two turn. So I was very shocked to see Debo fall that far to you and then uh, Waddle to go right ahead of him. And I think the other one, and I mentioned it on the, on the live stream, was um, Herbert being selected as the quarterback two off the board. And I liked it. And I mentioned I liked it on the stream, but... Uh, you know, again, in hindsight, now it's even greater, you know, and hats off to JD at the GOAT district. But um, it was one of those things that you look at and say, oh, why did he do that? Right. And you look at his team and and, and just analyze him on, on kind of a live draft and see why he made that choice. And, you know, there was reasons there were stacks and such. But um, I mean, he could have gone with Mahomes and grabbed someone later, too, as well. But he clearly chose Justin Herbert. And I, uh, I think that was one of the biggest head turns for me. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I somehow wound up with both 49ers receivers in that draft, which might not be the best thing in a year when they're transitioning you know, a quarterback who's more of a runner than a thrower. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I just kind of like the value there. But, yeah, I was a little surprised by the Waddle pick right in front of me. And it made the uh, the pulling of the trigger on Debo that much easier. Uh, one more. And this isn't from that particular draft, Billy. This was from uh, an FFPC draft. You just posted the results of on Twitter the other day, uh, you were picking 103 and Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey went one, two, you pick Najee Harris third. And I don't know about you, but I feel like 103 is just one of the worst places to be in drafts this year. It just feels like you're in this, this vice spot. So I don't know, walk me through your thinking with that spot. Do you agree that 103 is sort of an awkward place to be? I think round one, just in general, kind of sucks this year. Like if, if I was allowed to, I would trade my first for, and I'd trade back. It just, that's the kind of year it is. I just think that ADP is going to be out the window for a lot of players here, at least early drafts right now, like outside picks one and two, you know, Taylor and McCaffrey are kind of locked in. You can see anybody go from like three to 12 mix and match. Like it really, I've seen 12 go at three. I've seen three go at 12. I've seen, you know, four go at nine. It just doesn't matter. It's like all those players are interchangeable. So at three, and we talked about this off air a little bit, like you're right. Like you, now you have to wait for the board to come all the way back to you to get your second guy when you would have taken that guy possibly at nine or 10. And so it is a horrible spot. I don't really like it, you know, and you can get creative and just really kind of, you, you could just, you know, use it to just claim your guys. What I did, I said, I'm just going to take Najee here. I want to diversify a little bit and I'm just going to go for a volume play at running back. And then I'm going to load up at wide receivers. And, and, that's what I did in that draft. And you can do it whichever way you choose. You know, I've taken Justin Jefferson there. I've taken, you know, Jamar Chase there. I've taken Cooper Cup there. I mean, I've taken, um, that's pretty much it, actually. That's, uh, oh, Eckler. I've taken Eckler there. I mean, I've had McCaffrey fall to me there. So it really just a matter of what your personal preference is and how you want to build those teams. But yeah, one of three sucks this year. It does. But Najee's, I, I like the Najee play, I think, because of the, the safety of the touch volume. You know, the, it sort of establishes that floor that barring injury, he is going to get a lot of touches. And even though maybe Mitch Trubisky isn't the guy to really uh, raise all ships in that particular harbor, um, you know, we know he's going to get a lot of a lot of rushing volume. He's going to be involved in the passing game. Like, you know, he's still going to be a 20 touch a game guy. So um, I, I think that's in a bad spot. That's, uh, you know, hit hit the ringing double instead of swinging for the fences, I think. 
Well, and that's exactly what it is. It's a volume play, right? And you look at the running backs in the first round, and you say, who's going to have that much volume? Yes, Taylor. Yes, McCaffrey. Yes, Henry. Eckler will probably have it between all of his catches and or his targets and his and his touches. But um, you know, it's it's realistic outcome for um, Najee to have twenty carries, right, on top of his on on top of his targets. So. Um, it was a volume play and it was just kind of an anchor running back. I'm out on Henry. We'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, it just, it was just me just wanting to get an anchor running back and just be able to kind of expand upon it. Yeah. Now you have talked about how many drafts you've done and how you're trying to balance your portfolio to some degree. Um, but in all of these early drafts, is there a player or two, someone you keep just ending up with over and over, um, or are there certain players I don't know. You can already tell that you're going to just maybe you aren't overweight on them yet, but you feel like you will be overweight on them by the time you're done drafting. I'm overweight on a few and I'm getting there on a couple others. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you four names real quick. Cole Komet, Cole Komet for a tight end. I'm already overweight on him. I mean, you look at this offense last year, he saw 17.7% target share. He showed good rapport with, with fields. There's no more Matt Nagy. That's the key for me. No more Matt Nagy, no more Robinson. Um, you know, I expect something similar to like a TJ Hawkinson target share at the beginning of last year prior to getting injured, like, like maybe not quite that level, but 22, 23, 24%, somewhere in that, that range. And for a tight end, that's, that's money. when you're getting him late in drafts, you know, double digit rounds, the other one's Rondell Moore. I mean, love the talent. No more Christian Kirk should take over in a larger role here this year. He was going around 12. He's starting to sneak into around 10, 11 now, but I think that. Um, he's going to take a large step forward here in 2022. Jacoby Myers is another one. And this one, I'm almost overweight already. I mean, this guy needs a little more respect. Finished wide receiver 31 last year. You know, the clear number one in the offense, 126 targets last year. You can't find that anywhere else in rounds 14, 15. I mean, that's like printing cash in my opinion. And then the last one is Mike Evans. And this one's, this one's already corrected, but prior to Brady re-signing, I mean, he was going in like round four. And now that Brady resigned, he's, you know, two, three turn. So most of my ownership was already baked in there. And I, I will continue to add him throughout the season just because I love Mike Evans, but he's always good for a thousand yards, always good for double digit touchdowns, it seems. So I, with that discount that you were getting early, like it, it was like every time he was there, I just locked it. I would take him half a round early. Didn't care. I was locking him at that three, four range all day. Oh yeah. And now with the Brady return, um, that just looks like such a good price on him. And uh, man, that's hard to beat. L- let me ask you about the Jacoby Myers thing. Like, are you going to have your faith shaken at all in him if the Patriots draft? I know that I've seen them connected to Jameson Williams in a lot of mocks. Like if, if they add a player like Jameson Williams, is that going to concern you at all? No, I'd love to add a Jameson Williams. Coming off an injury, Patriots are smart. They're not going to rush him back. They're going to want him to be 100%. Uh, they're very, very um, safe in regards to players' injuries and how how they move their franchise players around, especially if they're utilizing high draft capital. But um, uh, Bilicek also has a problem, uh, uh, I should say, trust issues with rookies. And so I think that he would have to earn his way on the field. And, and we have seen that time after time that Bilicek has trusted his vets that have proven themselves. And I think that it would take a lot in order for somebody to to overtake Jacoby Myers uh, coming in year one in this offense. 
I love the Cole Komet call, by the way. I mean, a more mature Justin Fields, as you mentioned, no more Matt Nagy, and he just had terrible touchdown luck last year. So, I mean, that's that's bound to reverse itself. Yeah, I, I think there's some potential, like, low-end tight end one upside there. Yeah, I, exactly. And, and and when you're getting him, you know, late in drafts as, like, the tight end 14, 15 off the board, it, it's just a no-brainer for me. Give me a couple of your hot potato guys. Who are you not touching in most of these early drafts? So Derrick Henry, and last year I was looking, I did it last year too, and I was looking pretty wrong until he got hurt. Um, but five screws, body's wearing down, all the touches, I just have a lot of concerns. My joke has been, you got to add one screw for every spot you would have drafted him at. So if it was like one four, you got to add the five <laughs> screws, take him at one nine, right? So just I just have a lot of concerns with this health move forward and just this offense in general. Um, Javante Williams, another one. I mean, I love the talent, but the Broncos seem noncommittal to like a one workhorse type back. They always want to have someone else back there. News today even was that they wanted to have kind of a running back, you know, stable approach. Um, and his current ADP, like I saw him go at one Oh three the other day. Uh, Again, talk about being able to swap anybody you want inside the first round. Like his ranges have been one Oh three to like two, four is what I've seen in most of these drafts. And even at like that two turn, that's just the, the cost is too high for me. And that's ceiling at like two, one, two turn is ceiling. One, three is like above ceiling. And that kind of cost and what you're going to get back on investment to me, I don't think is going to be worth the while. Yeah, that's fair. Boy, 103 is awfully aggressive. I have not seen that sort of aggression in any of the best balls I've done, but that's just a little bit crazy for me. Do you have any, do you have any favorite? guys from this incoming rookie class yeah i mean everyone can say Brees hall it's not it's not a shocker but dynamic hands he's the full package i'll just leave it at that because it's kind of it's an easy one-on-one pick right if rookie drafts um the other two i think you once you get outside the that the Brees hall it's it's kind of interchangeable at running back rankings but i really like rashad white I mean, great hands patient runner good vision i think he has you know i think pff had him at like a 90 plus in receiving grade the next closest one was like in the 80s so um, Rashad white has, you know, really underrated hands as, as a running back. And then another white Zamir white, good strength, speed and burst. You know, he was the thunder to cooks lightning. And I think that, um, I think he's going to surprise people where he goes in the draft. Yeah. And Rashad and Zamir can be had pretty reasonably. Like, do you have your, your fill of those guys in best balls so far? Yeah. Rashad's been going ahead. Of course, he's been going like in that, uh, and like, FFPC, like that 10, 11 range and FFWC, uh, he's been going in that 11 to 12 range. And then Zamir white has been kind of going in that 14 to 16 range depending upon the two sites. Um, so it depends upon what your, your, your roster construction is and and how you're building your team, but, um, they're great late round targets, especially pre-draft because once those guys sign, and if it is with a, a team that's going to utilize their skill sets, you know, you expect that ADP to rise. Now, Brees Hall, I think in that best ball we did, went i want to say he went 304 does that sound right to you yep i got the board pulled up he went one pick before your acres pick and i was actually like those were my two guys like if he had taken acres i would have wound up with Brees hall do you think that's too early or do you think that's a reasonable price to pay i think it's a little early um i like Brees hall i think the talent's there but again like it's just me being a little more conservative in drafts like i'll own a player but i own more Brees hall in round five and six before everyone started getting on these rookies to where when you have that type of value in a draft, 
it's hard to beat teams when he was built in round six when you're taking him in round three, especially in tournament plays. So like I won't be drafting him at all in at least in the tournaments that I'm already in where I have that type of value baked into my teams just because it's going to be so hard to beat those teams that I have. Like, for instance, I have a team that has like a, a Jonathan Taylor, a Barkley, um, you know, then you add in someone like Lamb and then I got later you get Brees Hall and another top tier player where now you're subbing out either Barkley or Lamb for Brees Hall and you're inserting somebody more like, um, you know, Burks or Tony, right? And and so I think that when you look at value and you look at costs associated with it and depending upon tournaments, it's hard to justify the pick that early. In a confined league like we are in this draft, I think it's fine because you, you don't you don't have a history of him going in round five or six. Um, you know, I'd probably would like the more for sure thing, like the acres volume that we saw or the Aaron Jones um, volume, especially with Devonte Adams out. But I think after that, an argument could be made for Brees Hall in that, you know, James Conner, David Montgomery range. I would probably still take Conner ahead of him, but I, I think that there's an argument to be made either way there. Yeah, and one of the things that scares me the most about Hall is that the ideal landing spots for him, the places where he could go and get instant workhorse uh, type touches would be some really bad teams. Atlanta, Houston, New York. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it's like... Uh, Yes, he'd get a lot of touches, but what is the touchdown upside if he goes to the Texans or the Falcons? So, yeah, and and that's my fear as well, right? That's why I'm not taking him in round three, and that's why I'll take him like in later, and like I was. But it's you landing spot is is definitely a concern, and it's kind of it's kind of reverse, like of you know when you had Ch and Jonathan Taylor come in from rookies, right? And everybody had Jonathan Taylor as their 101, and then what happened? The Chiefs moved, drafted Clyde Edwards-Helaire. And everyone moved Clyde Edwards-Alaire up their rankings. When you look at talent and Jonathan Taylor was clearly the better talent, my fear is you're going to see a reverse with Hall. His talent's there. The landing spot may not be as good as someone else. That's going to create value again. And if you keep chasing him up the board, when that landing spot hits and people go, oh, that's really not what I was hoping for, then he's going to start moving back down boards, and that's when you should take him again. Yeah. Then we might see that if he does go someplace where there's a, I don't know, an apparent committee or something, which may well be the case. He might go where there's another established back. It might be somewhere like Arizona where he is with James Conner or something like that. And uh, yeah, that would certainly move him down draft boards. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Billy Musio. You can find his work at Full Time Fantasy and you can find him on Twitter at FF Musio. Billy, thanks for coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, Pat, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the talk. And that's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Billy Musio of Full-Time Fantasy. Find him on Twitter at FFMusio. The producer of Fits on Fantasy is the great Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by International Jet Sets. And last but not least, my thanks to all of you for listening. Please Come back again next week when I will be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone.
This season on American Prodigies, Black Girls in Gymnastics. You'll hear about trailblazers like Diane Durham. Learn what you don't know you don't know about Dominique Dawes. Meet superstars like Olympic silver medalist Jordan Childs and more. Hear how Black gymnasts have and continue to transform their sport. You can binge all the episodes of American Prodigies now wherever you get your podcasts.